بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد کریم اما بات الحمد للہ is the 30th of October in the year 2023. And Alhamdulillah, we moved on to the 24th night that we're going through the illustrious and dear life of our beloved Buddha, Sayyida Khadija bint Khawailid. So the next section entitled, The Year of Grief. Thus, subhanallah, the tenth year of the prophethood was a very painful and most trying time for our beloved messenger, sallallahu Two personalities, each of whom were very dear to our beloved messenger, sallallahu passed away one after the other, namely Sayyidah Khatija radiyallahu and Abu Talib. He thus lost the soothing company at home and also the protective shield through the prestige of these two eminent personalities. So, to insult your intelligence, Abu Talib was Rasulullah's uncle, and he brought him up from the age of eight. So, for 42 years, he looked after the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa 32 years before prophethood, but then Rasulullah proclaimed, then for another 10 years after that, he passed away. And he was down protecting the Prophet from the unbelievers. And of course, Khadija's passed away. With regards to who passed away first, we have conflicting reports. In Ibn Sa'ad in Istabakat, it mentions Abu Talib passed away one month and five days after Sayyid Khadija. So, in one report, it mentions that Khadija was the first to pass away. And then just a month and a few days later, Abu Talib passed away. Similarly, Hafiz Behaki, Rahmatullah, he said, Al-Waqidi claimed that Sayyidah Khatija passed away 35 days before the death of Abu Talib. This is in Behaki and Ibn Kathir Sira, volume 2, page 88 of the English translation. So even though the time is different, it still mentions uh, Khatija passed away first. <laughs> The first report says Khadija passed away uh, a month and a few days. And the other report says 35. In fact, it's the same. One month and five, 35 days. Both these reports indicate that our mother, Sayyida Khadija radiyallahu passed away first by a period over a little, a month. So one month and a few days. But Hafiz Bayhaki, rahmatullahi he said, it has reached me. That Sayyidah Khatija radiyallahu passed away three days after Abu Talib. Abu Abdullah ibn Manda rahmatullah mentions this in his book Al-Ma'rifah as well as our Sheikh Abu Abdullah Al-Hafiz rahmatullah This is in Bayhaki and Ibn Kathir Sira volume 2 page 88 of the English translation. So Imam Bayhaki is quoting some eminent scholars Ibn Manda he wrote a work on the lives of the companions and other scholars. They stated, no, Khadija was the one who passed away after Abu Talib. Khadija passed away three days after Abu Talib. Hafiz ibn Kathir, he said, some say she preceded Abu Talib in death, but the reverse is commonly known. 
This is in Ibn Kathir's Seed of Volume 2, page 81 of the English translation. So Ibn Kathir said the, the majority of scholars state that uh, Abu Talib passed away first, then it was Khadija. Whatever the case, it was certainly in the same year and within a short period of time that our beloved Messenger had now lost those who had shared his sorrows and given him unfailing support. Rasulullah was now himself a vulnerable target to the arrows of the enemies of Islam. So Hafiz ibn Kathir, he said, Ibn Ishaq said, Thereafter Khatija and Abu Talib both died in one year. After the death of Sayyidah Khatija, troubles fell upon Rasulullah in quick succession. She had been his trusted advisor in all his troubles. And he وسلم, would seek reassurance from her. The death of his uncle Abu Talib meant he had also lost a source of support and protection against his people. This is recorded in Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Kathir Sira, volume 1, page 81 of the English translation. Urwa ibn Zubair, rahmatullahi, he said, Rasulullah went into his dwelling with the dirt still on his head, which had been flung upon him by one of the foolish men of the Quraysh. One of his daughters went to him, washing the dirt off, and she wept. Rasulullah thereupon said, Don't weep, dear daughter, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is your father's protector. He then added, The Quraysh never treated me so badly before Abu Talib's death. This is in Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Kathir Sira, volume 1, page 81 of the English translation. So now they were becoming uh, brash with the Prophet. He had no protection. The Abu Talib, because he was not a Muslim, they didn't go near the Prophet because of Abu Talib. Because Abu Talib died, now even the youngsters are throwing dirt on his head. So when the daughter, one of his daughters, uh, you know, cleared the dirt from his blessed head, he said, the Quraysh never did this until Abu Talib passed away, meaning he was confirming Abu Talib's protection. So he's lost Khatija radiyallahu his comfort at home, his great trusted, you know, soulmate. He's lost the open protection of Abu Talib. If that wasn't all, thereafter he, sallallahu alayhi wa went to Ta'if, where, as is famously known, he was rudely rejected and also stoned by the urchins on his return. So that was the same year. Think about that. So these things happened very quickly in succession. So now why did the Prophet go to um, Ta'if? Because in that tribal society, you needed protection. So the Prophet outwardly was teaching us tawakkal. Tawakkal is you put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but you tie your camel first. So you do everything you need to do, and then you put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here he's teaching us, Allah ta'ala will certainly protect me. But I'm taking all measures that I physically can take. So what he did, he had protection of Abu Talib. When Abu Talib died, he knew now that in Makkah, nobody's going to protect him. So how is he going to spread the message? So he thought, let me go to Taif. So where is Taif? Taif is about 30 miles from Makkah. And it's continuously on an ascent. So when you're in Makkah, 
you literally go upwards 30 miles. So Taif is in a very like high plane and the temperature is like the temperature of England. It goes down from 48 degrees centigrade Makkah to about 28 in Taif. It's a very pleasant land. So And also it was a fortified place. So the Prophet thought, if I go there, maybe they would you know, be happy with the message. Maybe they would afford me protection. But when he went there, they didn't treat him with any honor or respect. He only went with one companion, Zayd ibn al-Haritha, his adopted son. Not only did they reject the message, they, they mocked him. So for instance, one of the chiefs, he said, I can't speak to you. If you are the Prophet, I'm not worthy to speak to you. And if you're not a Prophet, it's below my dignity to speak to you. So this was the sort of mocking they did with the Prophet Not only that, Rasulullah then told them, okay, you didn't accept the message, but allow me to leave in peace. They wouldn't let him leave in peace. What they then told, the, you know, like you said, the rabble, they goes, don't let this man leave our city before you teach him a lesson. So the report says, that even the children started stoning the Prophet and he was bleeding. We don't know where he was bleeding from, but the report says that his blessed sandals got clogged with his blood. So that's very graphic. Why? Because blood has to flow down. So we don't know exactly how much, you know, afflictions or, you know, marks was on his blessed body, but his sandals were clogged with blood. And then he left Taif. And then he mentions he slumped into an orchard outside Taif. He's on his way back to Makkah. And it's there that Allah Ta'ala sent the, uh, sent the angel. And the angel was in charge of the mountains. He goes, I'm in charge of the mountains. If you want, I will crush Taif for how they treated you. Rasulullah Sallallahu said, no. Because if they haven't accepted the message, inshallah their children will accept the message. So notice the Prophet didn't retaliate, he could have destroyed Taif. And then just a few years later, Taif also embraced Islam. And also one of the people from Taif actually brought Islam to our land, Pakistan. So it's very touching that that du'a is very applicable to us from our neck of the woods. So anyway, this happened, you know, you've got to put all this together. He's lost his wife Khatija. So how much of a blow was that inwardly? He's lost his guardian, Abu Talib. How much of a blow was that? And just to add insult to injury, he's suffering all this. So that year was called by the historians Amul Huzn, the year of grief. But this is very important. Rasulullah never called it the year of grief. Refer to Shaykh Al Bani Rahmatullah, Difa Anil Hadith in Nabawi, was seen page 8. So Correct, it's the year of grief. What does that mean? It means Rasulullah went through a lot of grief that year. What, what was the grief? He lost his wife, he lost his uncle, he was thrown at Taif. Second question, who called it the year of grief? This is where people make a mistake. Because Rasulullah called it the year of grief. No, he didn't. And if he did, isn't that showing lack of fortitude? He's the most patient. It's the ulama out of love for the Prophet They've called it the year of grief. So it's very important to highlight that. Subhanallah, it was not long after these traumatic events that the Lord of all the worlds strengthened his beloved messenger with the miraculous Isra and Mihraj as if he himself wanted to console and further strengthen his most beloved messenger 
So the Lord is so think about it. We know he went on the Islam Miraj, the famous night journey and the heavenly journey. This was the time it happened. Why? Because Rasulullah needed, you know, the help. So that is what lifted him. Allah took him on the miraculous journey to Jerusalem where the prophets prayed with him, alayhi salatu wasalam, and he saw all the wondrous signs in the heavens. He conversed with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He came back with the five prayers and other gifts. Why did that happen then? Because it was like just, you know, dusting him off, saying, look, go back. Allah is still with you, right? So this is what gave him strength. Now, what's interesting, what was the very famous gift he was given? Salah. So if you look at the history of Isra and Miraj, what was the initial reason Salat was given? And it was basically to take you out of your troubles. So when you're going through your worldly anxieties and troubles, Salat is the gift which helps you through that. Where's the proof? Rasulullah. Isra and Mihraj, he was given the five obligatory prayers. So note, it was then he was given this great honor, by, unique honor by Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So note, the reason I mentioned this here was because Khadija's death was the year of grief. So note, the tribulations now accumulating upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa So to conclude I, the next few sessions, a very important question is posed. Who exactly are the Ahlul Bayt? And what is their incredible rank in the glorious deen? So the reason I'm answering this question is because deviants have hijacked this term. The Ahlul Bayt means Rasulullah's family, the blessed household. But who, first question, who are they? Because the deviants restrict it. Secondly, what is their status? And the deviants elevate them above their station. So inshallah, we're going to discuss this to understand where the deviation has taken place. So the question is, who are the Ahlul Bayt? So the ignoramuses, they make the following two claims. Are we talking about the Rawafid? The Ahlul Bayt are only Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ali, Fatima, Hassan and Hussein. So this is what they, they call them the Pakistan Park. Rasulullah, Fatima, Ali, Hassan and Hussein. When you ask them why are these the Ahlul Bayt, they mention a correct report. Now this is important. What they are quoting is correct. Because this is the proof that these are the Ahlul Bayt. Our beloved mother Aisha. She relates, Once Rasulullah went out of the dwelling with a black sheet from Byzantine wrapped around his blessed body. So he had a black cloak with Roman origin. When Hassan, his grandson Ibn Ali came out, he put him under the sheet. Then Hussein emerged, Ibn Ali, Rasulullah took him inside the cloak similarly. Then Fatima emerged. Then Ali, he also made them go under the cloak. Thereafter, he recited the following verse. Surah Al-Ahzab, Surah 33, verse 33. 
Tirmidhi, Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, Hakim in his Mustadrak, Behaki, Ibn Jarir, Ibn Katir's Tafsir, Volume 7, page 681 of the English translation, Mishkat and many others. So, summarizing the report, Rasulullah has a black cloak, Roman origin. He puts under that cloak five of his family members. His daughter Fatima, her husband Ali, and two of their sons, Hassan and Hussein. And then he recites the verse. And what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? I only intend to keep filth away from you. Ahlal bayt. O blessed family. And to purify you with a total purification. So the Rawafid say, How clear do you want it? These are the Ahlal bayt. Rasulullah put a cloak over them. He recited the relevant verse of the Quran. Class. Then they quote another report. In Tirmidhi, number 3897, Hassan Sahih, Ahmad in his Musnad, number 26,570, our beloved mother, Um Salama, she relates, Rasulullah once put a cloak over Hassan, Hussein, Ali and Fatima, and thereupon made the following dua, Allahumma haulai ahlu bayti wa khasati Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, these are the people of my house closest to me. Remove from them filth and purify them with the total purification. I asked Um Salama, who wasn't under the cloak, I asked, Wa ana ma'ahum ya Rasulullah. Am I also amongst them, Ya Rasulullah? Sallallahu alayhi wa the Prophet said, Innaki ala khair. Verily, you are already upon goodness. So it's the same incident. But who else is mentioned? Um Salama, our mother. So she said, Ya Rasulullah, am I also one of these elite souls that you said are Ahlul Bayt? And the Prophet said, Innaki ala khair. You're already upon goodness, meaning you don't need to be. So the Rawafid said, Look, the wives of the Prophet aren't Ahlul Bayt. Mm. So these are two of the reports they quote to put the stance forward that these are the only members of the family. The second thing the Rawafid assert, they state these auspicious souls are also Ma'asum, like the Prophets, due to verse 33 of Surah Ahzab. So what do I mean Ma'asum? Our belief, the majority of the Ummah believe that the Prophets, each and every one of them, والسلام, are ma'asum. They are protected from sin. They never fall into sin. This is our belief. All the Prophets, Adam, all the way to the Prophet. So, does that mean that they can't sin? The answer is they're protected from sin. So, it's a technical point. They, they, they've never committed a sin. Because they are protected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Rawafid say, not only are the Prophets ma'asu, 
The Ahl al-Bayt are mahsum. These people that are under the cloak, you ask them why? They go, it's because the Quran. What, is the, what was the verse the Prophet decided? Allah Ta'ala wants, intends to keep filth away from you, O Ahl al-Bayt, and to purify you with the total purification. Have you understood the argument? So the Rawafid say that these Ahl al-Bayt are like the Prophets. They are also ma'asum. Do we, the Ahl al-Sunnah, believe that? No, we don't. But I'm going to explain that at the relevant time in chat. Right? So, all I've done thus far is I've mentioned who the deviants have said are the Ahl al-Bayt. But, very important to highlight, they've quoted two authentic reports. We don't reject those reports. We accept them. But they have interpreted it with a deviant interpretation. Have you understood that? But I'll mention that tomorrow. So just to summarize, what is the Rawafid belief? The Ahl al-Bayt are those under the cloak. Only those. Ali, Fatima, Hassan, Hussein, and of course the Prophet. That's the first deviant belief. Only them. The second deviant belief, all of those under the cloak are Ma'asum. Why did they say that? Because the Quran apparently indicates that. We want to remove all impurity from you. We intend to remove all impurity from you. Give you a total purification. But inshallah, we will you know, clarify upon that in the next few sessions. But I'm just building up to that inshallah. So all I mentioned today was basically two things. The first is, I mentioned very briefly the year of grief. Why is it called the year of grief? It's because of the two deaths of the nobles. And of course, the harm which happened at Taif. But of course, he was crowned with the Isra and Miraj. But very important to highlight, Rasulullah never called it the year of grief. It was the scholars out of love. And then I mentioned, now, the Ahl al-Bayt. And the reason I mentioned in this right at the end of the life of our beloved mother is because these fruitcakes do not believe that the mothers are Ahl al-Bayt. They exclude them out of the sanctified household. And there's reasons which I'll mention, you know, inshallah, if still alive. Are there any questions you want to ask? Subhanallah, bihamdi, subhanallah, lahumma, bihamdi, ka ashtu la ilaha illa anta astaghfirika atu bilaik, wa zibillahi minu shayda anjim, subhanallah, rabbi kalam bil izzati amma yisifun, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, alhamdulillahi 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 wa barakatuh, alhamd